Hi, I'm Don Letts and welcome to Joining the Dots, brought to you by Size and Spaces in Between. Today, I'm sitting down with author and journalist Hattie Collins, an authority on grime, a musical form that happens to be the most dynamic expression coming from the streets in the 21st century. Short story long, I, I grew up in Birmingham. I'm uh, older brothers and cousins, very much into music. They used to buy and sell records. So kind of grew up in this very, I suppose, rich musical culture of dub, a bit of Bangra, punk, rap, all these sorts of sounds floating around as a kid. Adam and the Ants when it was with a Z and Spear of Destiny and The Clash, all these different things were in my head growing up. And going to like, the normal local comprehensive school with black, Asian, white kids, all those were then thrown into the pot, all their music was thrown into the pot. And I just, I just fell in love with hip hop initially. So I fast forward about four million years. I find myself in London just starting to get into journalism, finding my feet, writing mostly about hip-hop. 50 Cent was coming through, um, a little bit about dancehall, so maybe Sean Paul at that time was coming through. And a friend of mine called Chantel introduced me to what was then just known as 8-Bar Esky Sublo. There was no name for it. And I was instantly, completely fascinated by this noise that she played me. Were you a journalist at this time? I was just started writing in, say, the January, February 2002. I think it was around that time, and literally when maybe around May, June, something like that, Chantal was like, there's this kid called Dizzy Rascal, he's about 15 years old, he's made this tune, you should listen to it. And I had heard nothing like it before. Through, through Jungle, through Garage, nothing came I'm, I ain't going to lie, I did the Google thing, I'm like, Hattie yeah. Carroll, who the hell is Hattie Carroll? I quickly looked up and I saw this thing that you'd been on this since 2002, I mean, way before that, it had yeah. actually blown up. So what struck me immediately about that was that it was obviously a genuine passion. You hadn't jumped yeah. on it because it was a fashion. It was funny because I was going to ask you about this. How do you know you're sort of in the midst of a subculture? To me at that time, it was really normal. So Chantal, she was writing a lot about UK Garage. So a lot of those UK Garage guys were the ones that were starting to make grime. So over the, I don't know, 2002, 2003, 2004, because we lived in East London, because we live very close to Rhythm Division, which was the main record shop, or where Rinse was broadcasting at the time, from whichever tower block it was broadcasting, people would just come around to our house, play us new tunes, tell us about new people, and we would go to Forward at Plastic People. Whatever was happening at the time, it was just what you did. And it's now looking back that I was like, oh my God, we were like, we were at the sort of beginning of the Centre this... of the universe. Yeah, yeah. The universe. But did you know that when you were doing During the, the punk years? times, not really, man. You just, like you said, went, you, you went with the thing that grabbed you and you followed your instinct and your passion, and it turns out for us, both that we had good taste. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting, the journalist thing, because we had people like you around, you know, people might not know this, but Janet Street Porter was uh -huh. a budding journalist at that time, and there was another lady, Caroline Kuhn, and uh, Vivian Goldman. And it was important, because these were likewise journalists that stuck their necks out and made a commitment to this thing that was really scaring everybody else. So sonically, grime can come across very aggressive. And for some people, one of the questions I'm often asked is, oh, weren't you ever scared or aren't you ever scared to go to these gigs? It's never occurred to me to, to think that. All I've ever sort of got from it is energy and ebullience and a sense of freedom. If yeah, that doesn't no, sound absolutely. too cringy. Um, which isn't to be sort of um, kind of obtuse and say, oh, but, you know, there's, of course, you know, stuff happens at Rays because stuff happens at Wetherspoons on a Friday night or stuff happens I at... I mean, all those elements you described to me make it sound attractive to me. I mean, I'm <laughs> yeah. guessing you're coming from the same place I just that would have made us go and look. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if someone shouts fire, like you want to go and look, don't yeah. you? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's your instinct is to run, but your 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 innate sort of strange human drawing is to just go and have a look at something that yeah. is. Has I so mean, my thing is if power. it's music and everyone's complaining about it, it's got to be someone's doing something right. You know what I'm saying? And we're there. Yeah, you just can't help it. I didn't really ask the thing about the white, and I, I don't really know what a white woman uh, ends up in this. I don't know. Um, one thing I, I would say is that I've never had any shit from anybody apart from white men. Nobody within surprise, the scene itself surprise, has yeah. ever questioned my passion 
build on my belief or my intentions. With my intentions have always just been, I love this music, I want to write about it, I want people to know about it, that's all I've ever wanted to do. And any time I have had any sort of people say, well, what, you know, what's going on, you know, what's, what are you up to? It's only ever been white guys that have ever sort of questioned that. Do you want to sleep with these guys? Right. Are you trying to make money? I mean, these, these are the, you know, I mean, of course, Damn. you know, this, yes. is, this, is, this is the reality of being sort of, I guess, a white female journalist, you know, you, get, you do get these questions. I mean, I make films. Yep. And over the last few years, I've been sort of toying with the idea. I don't even, it might have already been done of somebody doing like an established, a proper grime documentary. And for whatever reasons, whether it be paying a mortgage or whatever, I just haven't got it together. And I was really thinking about what I knew about grime. And I realised that other than the big brushstrokes, you know, the Skeptas and the mm -hmm. Wileys and the Dizzy Rascals and the Kanos and that, I don't really know anything about the detail. Can I tell you what really struck me is when I researched you and looked at, oh, she's been into this thing till 2.02, and I'm like, shit, it's 2.17. This shit's been going for over 15 years. That's a hell of an achievement. And I'll tell you what more to the point is, you know, I've quite often complained about how droll the 21st century's been. Mm. And there's no denying that grime's been the only real, interesting, dynamic, musical product that's come out of this country in the last 20 odd years, actually, because we were banging on about nostalgia in the last night. Remember his Britpop and all that yeah, shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so that was really, I mean, why does it have yeah. this long gestation Just, period? So I did a book about a year ago called This Is Grime, and it was an oral history, so I spoke to a lot of people. Three things I think that the reason that grime existed then and, and perhaps why it continues to exist today. One is it's a group of mates that were very sort of ostracised by what was happening at the time in UK Garage. And they were like, you know what, fuck it. If they don't want to hang out with us, they don't want us to come and play their clubs, let's just make our own music. So that it was just a group of mates, relatives, cousins, mates, friends, whatever, on this, you know, estate. Lots of their fathers were in bands together. So you had Wiley's dad was in a band with DEE's dad and Footsie's dad had a sound system. So there was this sort of culture that existed of music. So I think that's one of the reasons why it began. And I think this sort of sense of being outsiders, that's kind of the nucleus of where Grime came from. You know, it's been 15 years and it's had a lot of ups and downs, had a lot yeah. of trials and relations it's gone through some terrible iterations where it's made some terrible mistakes yeah, and we'll terrible spare decisions. You, brothers. We won't name <laughs> you. Hasn't? We won't name and Listen, shame you. You know, yeah. I've I've written about some terrible music in my time too. What can you do? What I think is really interesting about Grime is, yes, yeah, you've got the Wileys and the Skeptors, but to me the really interesting people are the ones that tend to have been forgotten. You know, that are now to my best of my knowledge, uh, Bruiser, who's an engineer. Uh you've got like, I don't know, Hyper, I think he worked at like a sports shop possibly. You know, there's different people that are really, really, really central to what was happening back in those days who rarely get any sort of acclaim or mention. And that's a that's kind of it, That's one of those things that the right, the pioneers never really get paid. It's people yeah. that come along after that get to collect, and that's just part of the nature of yeah. the creativity of music, unfortunately. Yeah. But it's good that people like you are around to acknowledge these people and keep them in the story. Yeah. In 2005, myself and Chantel, who was the person that you know essentially opened the door to me to Grime, we did a piece for ID magazine, which was essentially just about Grime. And we were like, you know what, we could just do the MCs, but we should actually, why not, let's do like the bloggers, as it was at the time, the bloggers, let's do the, you know, the managers, photographers. Yeah. You know. I was going to say, you to the question I was going to, I was curious to know because people say oh grime was a bit like punk and one of the things that was interesting yeah. about punk to me is that it weren't just about music right. it was this complete subculture you know, inspiring photographers filmmakers journalists is there an equivalent in grime Oh, is it that complete? Because people talk about punk and grime a lot and they talk more about the energy and the sort the of the, the protest and DIY. But <clears> actually <throat> what I think is really interesting that you just brought up is that it has created this cottage industry, if that's the right yeah. word. It's created this, uh, this culture of fashion, yeah. <clears throat> photography, art. I mean, there's teenagers that are doing paintings, that are creating clothing, you know, all on the back of this inspiration of, of grime. It's, to me, so exciting. And right. that, that's happened since the dawn of time. So 
I was just thinking about me, you know, wanting to make this film, and I, one of the reasons I guess I steered clear of it is for the first time in my life, there was this youth culture, basically I was too old for it. Age and social circumstance meant that I was no longer directly in connection with this thing. And I was only ever a, a keen listener and, at worst, a bloody spectator. And, you know, if I was going to make a film, I mean, the first thing I'd be looking at is, where did it come from? Mm. What was the cultural climate that created it? Yeah. What can you tell me about that? Hip-hop's got a very clear narrative, hasn't it? It's like, cool her, went to Jamaica and he came back, and then Grandmaster Flash invented scratching. You know, you have quite a set narrative with hip-hop, and I think with grime it is a lot murkier. I think essentially, around 2000, 2001, bearing in mind that September 11th had happened. Now, I don't know if there's a direct impact from what happened there, but you've got all these kids that live around Canary Wharf, uh, on the wrong side of Canary Wharf, so they're staring at these buildings which, to which the American equivalent had just been decimated. So this idea of terrorism is coming in. Socially, these guys are all reaching sort of a time when they're about to leave school. They're trying to make music, but they're sort of shut out by the garage scene who find them too young, too rowdy, don't like their new ideas. And so, you know, it happens throughout culture, you know, you see it throughout, throughout musical culture, it happens. And I think it's still, it's still much dispute, which is one thing I love about grime is this, is this sort of murky waters that it, in which it inhabits. But sometime around 2002, this idea of um, making the music darker, so they were sort of slowing down the beats about yeah. 138, 140. Yeah. Subject matter's changing too, The subject it? matter is really, really drastic. It's a bit like when Melly Mel dropped the message. It mm. was suddenly like, you've got Dizzy Rascal came in talking about uh, disillusionment, single-parent family, all yeah. that sort of stuff. I think the differentiation is you've got this very specific synth sound, this sort of very cold, industrial, Wiley sort of called it Eskimo or Igloo, this very cold sort of sound yeah. that came to characterise yeah. grime and still characterises grime. Um, uh, with that 138, 140 BPM, which coincidentally, the reason it was at that BPM was because it was available on PlayStation as a free sort of program. So a lot of these kids were like, obviously couldn't afford home studios. So you got this free kind of like. That's some funny shit. I love that. You got this free. I love that. Free B on the PlayStation. Yeah. So they're like, that'll do. See, that's punk rock. That's punk, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's kind of roughly around 2001, 2002, how the sort of it started to come into existence. And they're pulling from what? A bit of the dubstep. They're pulling from UK Garage, obviously, a bit of jungle, a bit of dance, all right. Definitely dance was super important. A lot of those kids, when you... They're now men, but when they were kids, a lot of those guys were watching their, their, on VHS, you know, Sting, the parents... Sting was a big thing. Clashing culture was a really big influence on a lot of these people, which, again, is very different to Garage. So, yeah, you've got all of these sorts of ideas bubbling around. You've got a little bit of, you know, the idea of rap. You've got the idea of Garage, Jungle. Lots of them were Jungle MCs in the past. You know, they've come through Jungle into Grime, and now they're like, you know what? We've always been a bit on the periphery. Let's make our own thing. I mean, it was all, I guess, subconscious, but that's how it all sort of came to be, and it went into a pot and came out right. It's funny you should say about a clear narrative in hip-hop. Right now, Cool Herc yeah. and Grandmaster Flash mm -hmm. are going through a very public row about who started what. Yeah, yeah. Flash is right, Herc, I'm sorry. Herc bought the tunes, <laughs> but Flash bought the technique. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, come on! Why East London? Why Bo? Why Bo? That is a good question. Why Bo? Why I, not, I, I guess? <laughs> I, think, I, I don't know, because you see it in West London, you see this really great mashing up of cultures. And, but I think... No, I think I know the answer already, so I'm talking to you. I'm thinking by that time, you know, by the, that period, places like West London, totally gentrified, hardly any black people. And I'm guessing, I don't know East London. It's like a foreign yeah. country, but I'm guessing there's a lot more estates and things. Exactly. It was a lot more sort of established working class, class estates. Yeah, exactly. And you've got a guy, you've got Wiley, who is... So it's a statement about the state of London, really. 
That's yeah, what I mean, I, like I said earlier, that very cold noise that inhabits grime comes directly. If you speak to a producer called Danny Wood, you speak to him, and he was like, you know, we were literally making the sound of where we were living. We were literally putting onto record what the environment that we were in, which was cold, it was tough, it was harsh, it was hostile, it was unsociable, and that was the music that they were making. It's kind of of the youth, for, for the, the youth. youth. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, even the time. And by the youth. By the, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you look at roughly the four people that started grime, DJ Genius, Slimzy, Wiley and Target. These so are four people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Education, education. So, so That's genius, what I'm here for. Genius and Slimzy are super important. They 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 set up um, what is now you know the very the very well known Rinse FM. Back then. They were they're two white kids from from all from the same sort of area and they'd all been in crews together. They're in pay as you go with Wiley. And they were like, let's just set up a radio station, we'll set up this station. And that station kind of became one of the hubs of Grime where it was able to Was that Rinse? Rinse. So he had Rinse yeah. here, which was all of Roll Deep. So he had Wiley, Target, later on, Skepta and Jamie became members of Roll Deep, but that's much later on. Uh, Dizzy. And then you had Deja Vu, which was run by somebody else, which was the sort of home, if you like, of Nasty Crew, which was yeah. Kano, Jammer, Hyper, uh, Stormy. You know, these two kind of rival crews, friendly rivalry at that point. DWE was there. And so you would lock into each station to hear what yeah. shit they were talking about. I was going to say, I'm going to give props to people like, you know, Target and even they were like Charlie Sloth. Because if it wasn't for those guys, I wouldn't know what the fuck's going on. Yeah, I it mean, was, it, know, it's I, so important. And I wonder what will happen with, you know, you're, you're a radio person. And I we, we talk a lot about radio at the moment and, you know, what's going to happen to the future of radio. And to me, I, well, for me growing up, Tim Westwood was my gateway to, to hip hop. You know, as a kid from Birmingham, there was no magazines that you could buy in Smiths, really, I don't think. Maybe Hip Hop Connection when I was older. So people like Westwood were sort of, or Trevor Nelson, you know, these are the people that we accessed on Radio 1 because you couldn't get Pirate. So for me, I'm just, yeah, I wonder what happens, you know, what happens if One Extra goes? What happens if Six Music goes? What happens Hold if... on, but this surely, I mean, I'm not being funny, but Grime's bigger than all of that now. Yeah, I mean, it seems it, to well, me it's a bigger problem big... for the, those radio stations than it would be for Grime. It's definitely, well, yeah, I mean, they don't need, they don't need the you station. Know, but... I mean, that's another, sorry to interrupt you, that's that another thing that really appeals to me about the whole Grime thing that, that's a punky thing. That, when we talk about punk, I mean, I want people to understand, we ain't talking about that fucking 77 Mohawks safety pin thing. This is an attitude and a spirit that predates that. It's this thing of young people using music to find an identity and express themselves. That's the punk that I get from it. Fashion is a really big part of grime. And I think when you talk about grime, we were just, I think we sort of touched on this a bit earlier, but yeah, you know, yes, it's about the music and the tracks and whatever and Rinse FM and whatever but it's also about how you look you know and a big part of Skepta's success at the moment is because he's returned to this like he literally ditched all his machino and his, and his Versace and his designer shit and he went back to wearing tracksuits and what I found really interesting about punk, you set up a clothing shop where people would just came and bought stuff and then you play records and then it became a night. And like, that just yeah. sort of blows my mind. The sort of relationship between the arts in that way. And that, I don't know. The relationship between clothes and music is a very British thing, though. I mean, they've always been that's like. That's what I was going to say. So do you, think, do you think that is. I mean, that's. Absolutely. Is it's a very, very British thing. I mean, that's what drove all those different subcultural movements at the end of the last. of the, of the 20th century, yeah. which kind of disappeared a bit. I tell you what's interesting the big difference to me between that movement and the whole thing, grime in the 21st century, is that in those days we used to shy away from money in the trapping you know we were yeah. kind of embarrassed by it but the grime people they ain't being fooled by that you know what I mean and I kind of dig that it's a very different shift in attitude that um, the aspiration of wanting the gold wanting the brands because back in the day that would have been like sucking the devil's dick yeah yeah and um, it's a definite statement of the times I mean nowadays you know if you say I'm being backed by Nike or blah 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 they're kind of um, badges of honour and even I've had to deal with some of that stuff I mean some of the films that I've made in the last 10 or 15 years have been funded by brands mm -hmm. 
You can't escape it. You can't. I mean, working in magazines, I worked in a magazine called Rewind for years, which was known as the Grind Bible. And we, you know, we absolutely relied on adverts and support from big brands, you know, and we would have to pull pieces. If someone sort of, for instance, slagged off, I don't know, HMV or whatever the yeah. brand might be, you know, we just, we could, you know, you are beholden a little bit. That's the sort of world we live in. But I think it's a tricky one because I think initially when Grime did chase the money, uh, which it did do in the mid noughties, yeah. it went terribly wrong. And I think what's it, better I mean, now is that Skepta particularly has led this route, this sort of movement of saying, do you know what? I don't want your brand deals. I don't want your record labels. I don't want to wear fancy clothes. And because he's done that, now he's getting thrown and yeah. deals left, right, and centre. Because he sort of rejected it, yeah. now he's kind of, now he's sort of in the position where he's taking it on his own terms. Yeah, I was going to say, don't get me wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with getting paid for a good idea. I mean, I, whole, I think that whole thing about suffering for your art is a trick for people not paying you. And I kind of dig the fact that these guys want to get paid. And like you just pointed out, it's all about at what expense. Yeah. But if you want your brand splashed all over my face, yeah. then forget That's about the thing's it. difference. I think there's a little bit more power now. I heard that when Stormzy was offered a very significant deal from Adidas, uh, he was like, yeah, 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 all good, all good. Um, but then as part of that deal, insisted that they buy his mum a house in Ghana. He's like, I'll do your deal, but I want you to fly my mum to Ghana, buy her a house <laughs> and fly her back. Is that the thing about these these kids, as far as I can see, we call them kids, they're men now, even though, didn't they have, I mean, like Kano and all those, they had hits of like when they were 16, oh, he's, 17. Yeah, he's 30 odd now, yeah. But they're yeah. not like stupid street urchins. These are smart, entrepreneurial kids. I mean, how else does something like that happen? She's wearing a so boy, boy better, better know. no t shirt, folks. <laughs> boy, yeah. You know. I mean, they've made so much... Jamie, so Jamie and Skepta, that's their label. It's Jamie's design. They first put this out in, I think, 2006. This, this, this idea of a t-shirt. Again, like, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but at the time when I worked at Rewind, we were doing some work with a certain uh, large sports clothing company who offered him a, I mean, a serious amount of cash in the hundreds of thousands for him to come in and sell this through, through their store. And he was like, no, I'm all right, thanks. I don't want to do it. Like, he completely rejected because he wanted to keep the heart and soul of the brand, which is, for him, it's selling it still from his mum's house in North London. I just remembered something looking at your T-shirt, yeah. Skepta's tune. Too Boy, many man, too many man. That was another thing that put me off in the beginning. Too much man, then. Too much, yeah, there's too usually many just men. Too... I've got to be honest with you, I've got to say, in the early days, because I wasn't bang on it in the early days, like, you know, there's a little while I'm staying back checking out what this new thing is, and uh, the was, men yeah. thing, two things, too many men, and fucking geezer shouting at me all day long. <laughs> I was yeah, like, oh, it wasn't, no, no, second. It wasn't a Bridgie. relaxing night out. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a relaxing night out. No, I mean, I mean, yeah. but the truth again, you know, listen, in 2000, I turned 44. So, I mean, it wasn't my bloody soundtrack. I mean, Don, let's say, on the street now, yeah, you're more yeah, likely yeah. to find me on a fucking sofa. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But the, the, the too many men thing, yeah, that did my head in. Girls, what's the presence of females you in know, this whole thing? It's very male dominated, and and I mean now I take okay. So on mm. on Sunday, Boy Better Know took over, not just the O2. O2, yeah, I heard about it. The take whole over. thing yeah. outside, right? How did that go? It was phenomenal. I've got to give it to them. I thought it was going to be an absolute shambles. I couldn't really understand what it was. So I get down there expecting just like a bit of chaos. Take over. They had five side football, they had roller skating, they had all this stuff happening outside. And then you went inside and there was a show and it was fantastic, right? So you've got this, you've got this scene, right? And it looks on the outside to be all about men. So at the O2, easy 50-50 women to men and young girls. You know, yeah, but it didn't kids. start like that. It, no, when I went back in the... Well, you know, in the very early days when it was still garage and it was crossing over, crossing over, you went to like Sidewinder, Eskimo Dance. It was still pretty mixed but as it did get more like shank you know there was a lot of shank lyrics it was all like very aggressive and there was a few little things that happened which we can't kind of gloss over you know there were there were a couple yeah, of yeah, 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 ups and downs, you know like any good and movement. girls were just like 
Yeah. Ain't nothing all beautiful, girlfriend. Exactly. Girls are like, fuck that, I'm not interested. And I didn't want to go to nights, you know, where there's just loads of dudes standing around. But what I think is often overlooked is that there are a lot of women who have maybe not been at the forefront, but who have been incredibly important. Chantal Fadi, for example, who's the person that, you know, put me onto grime. She was, to me, 100% hands down, alongside Martin Clark, the very forefront of grime journalism. You've got uh, artists like Nole, Shiesty, Lioness. Now you've got, you know, Lady Leisha and... Are these on disc? All on, all yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of them are signed, some of them are unsigned. You've got Skeptic Sister, Julie Adenuga, who is the face of Apple Music. Uh, she's a hugely important person. Cyan Anderson. You've got Laura Brosman, who's a blogger. You know, I could go on. There's a... Rebecca Prochnik is one of the biggest kind of live promoters in the UK who represents Wiley and Skepta. So you've got these incredible women at these really interesting positions. Yeah, they might not always be at the forefront on, on mic, but they are just as influential, I think, at guiding a lot of careers. You know, not to sort of blow a trumpet at all, but like over the years, I've done my best to sort of, if everyone's asked me for advice, you know, what should I, should I do this? Should I take that deal? What do you think about that? So, you know, there's, lot, there's been, I think, lots of really important women. And the most important woman in grime is the mothers, because a lot of these women, broadly speaking, quite a lot of these kids grew up in single parent households. So we're generally deep. speaking, we're deep. Yep. No, generally speaking, so, well, generally speaking, just, just, yeah. just, yeah. just from the oral history I did, you know, generally that's what you would hear. Or the, lots of times the dads were around, but just not in the house. Um, the dads were super influential as well. But the, the mums um, gave these kids a space. They were like, yeah, you can bring your mates. Like Tinchy Strider, his mum let, you know, dizzy, rapid, dirty danger, all these little fucking 13-year-olds come round their house almost, I don't know, every day or every week. They would go upstairs, play the tunes, make all their racket, and the mum was like, you know what, it's cool, you're under my house, I know what you're doing, you're not on the street causing trouble. So a lot of the time, same with Wiley, you know, the door was open to the artist and their mates and their producer mates to, to, to make music, and I think that's really important. I think that's often really overlooked, and I think the mum is, you know... Dizzy's come back strong. Dizzy's doing all I've right. I've dropping something out on my radio yeah, show. He's, he's, I, I've got to say... I'm loving that album. Yeah, yeah. Something else I want to talk to you about, I was thinking about this before we obviously got together, and a lot of the sort of more urban bass sounds that happened in the last half of the 20th century, you could always almost trace a direct line back to, if not the Afro-Caribbean, definitely Jamaica. 100%. You know what I mean? And grime, thank God. I mean, obviously, emphasis on drum and bass. Yep. That's there. But it seems to me that one of the most interesting things to me about grime was you had this other influence coming in of Afro-British influences. Mm -hmm. To what extent has that affected the sound? Because that's really interesting to me. It's a real big shift yep. in the influence of black music in the UK. Again, from talking to people over the years, uh, Lethal B or Skepta, they all sort of talk about, you know, when they were kids at school, being African was not cool. It was all about being Jamaican. Being African was just like... <laughs> not, yeah, yeah. not the thing, right? Uh, believe me, I was you, there. You know, you, right? <laughs> it was, it was cool to be Jamaican yeah. or of Jamaican heritage. Not cool to be of African yeah, it heritage. Still is. <laughs> the fight continues. <laughs> um, so for a long time, if you look at the early years of grime, you had a lot of British MCs or London MCs that would emulate emulate the, the patois. They would yeah. be like full-born British Cockney dudes dropping a full yeah. Jamaican Yardie accent. You never got the same with kids doing an African accent. Just absolutely would not be heard of. But it's been interesting over the years, and I don't know what the shift is, but I think a guy called Sway, who was a bit kind of hip-hop, a bit rap, a bit grime, sort of a bit in the middle, but he, he had a, an album come out, which he had these skits with like little Derek and Derek stuff. He, he just brought in this idea of this very funny kind of African character and all of a sudden people were like, oh, maybe Africans kind of <laughs> cool after all. And then you had Tinchy being like, well, actually, you know, my real name is the XYZ and you had um, Jamie talking about how he was Nigerian and all of a sudden you have this kind of wave of cultural shift where actually being African is really, really cool. And It was always cool. <laughs> it's always been cool, of course. But finally, that sort of sense of recognition, it's really interesting. I it's taken a long time. 
I saw a comment the other day on YouTube, and it's interesting because the Americans are still so out of step with this. There's a rapper called Extension whose, by all accounts, not a particularly nice chap. And Akon had said something about him, you know, oh, you know, your music's crap, whatever. And he had written on Akon's Instagram something about, you look like a felt-tip pen, you're so black. Uh, really denigrating his African ancestry. And, I was, and so it was really interesting to me how completely out of step that for this African-American rapper to You know what's funny denigrate is, and yet, and yet that's very in keeping with the African-American's attitude I mean, you know, Bob had to go on tour with bloody Stevie Wonder before he accepted it. What we have seen over the last two years is all of a sudden, kind of from nowhere, perhaps led a little bit by people like Fuse ADG and Wizkid, who are Nigerian artists yeah. who are enjoying success over here, with a little bit of help of people like Drake and Skepta. From sort of out of nowhere, with this whole wave of African yeah. influence Where's crime. Storm, what's Storms' blood? Where's he from? He is Ghanaian. Yeah. He's Ghanaian. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's the thing that stuck out to me most is finally... Well, that, lots of those... That yeah. Jamaican link's finally been broken. But in fact, it hasn't been broken because it's still there. Well, it's, sh it's shared. It's, still it's there. just, it's just, there's, it's just a, there's just a lot of prominent Jamaican yeah. heritage and a lot of, but also, I think, you know, you've got Skepta Jamie, Stormzy, Lethal B. Enoughman. There's a lot of, yeah. of African artists, or a lot of Respect. So, Ret yeah, Return to Africa. <laughs> Grime couldn't have happened anywhere else but the UK. I mean, Absolutely. I, 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 it's I, I, it's, it's the only true British expression of the 21st century. There's no doubt in my mind. It's funny, yeah. Grime's come along to try and save British musical culture in the same way that hip-hop came along when it did. Because at that time, there was this kind of weird musical void. You know, everything was like Dire Straits and Bruce Springsteen. But the black American music at the time was this really overproduced shit, cool in the gang. Disco. No disrespect, brothers, and cool tunes. But it had no relationship to the vibe that was on the street. And the brothers set about creating a soundtrack that was relevant, relevant to their situation. And that's how Grimes come along. You know, and it's had this really long gestation period, which I think has worked in its favour. I've got to be honest. I mean, I'm glad that they've got all that testosterone out of their system and now guys are being, you know, they're almost getting in touch with their feminine side, dude. I mean, listen to yeah, Stormzy's Yeah, you've got Stormzy album. who's now saying, yeah. I'm not going to say the word bitch anymore. You know, you know he, he wants to, he wants to stop they're growing up using the N-word. I tell you, in black so... culture, it's a big deal for us to drop that kind of macho thing. I think that's why it's had this longer gestation period, is because, you know... To be a true individual takes a lot of guts. You know, a lot of people want to be down with the brothers, man. And when we get over that, then I think things get really interesting. Yeah, I you think know, you've got you people like... You don't have to like... prove that you're black anymore. Yeah. Shit gets really interesting. Yeah, you've got people like Jamie sort of saying, you know what, education is cool and it's kind of cool to be a geek. Like, I'm a graphic design geek. You know, I went to university and, I mean, he's gone on to make a shitload of money. Even Stormzy doing that thing where he admitted about his health problems. Big deal for black people. Yeah, black well, people. and young men, young men, young black men. in men. general. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so interesting how... Uh, the, the, the sort of platform has changed for these kind of narratives to, to come through and for a long time you just wouldn't have had someone like Stormzy on Channel 4 News they just weren't interested or BBC or The Guardian whatever you know so I think what's great is that with the platform they are now given they're really really using it well and it's not just about like you say it's not just about it would feel so out of sync to be like talking about chains and diamonds and women it was just like, like well you know and, then, and, the, and, the, and I don't hold it against the movement for going through the bull I mean Punk went through bull this bullshit yeah, phase yeah. which was the mohawks and safety pinned and all that it's never about that. It's about this attitude. And it took a little while for people to be honest and be themselves. And that's a big deal, you know. Yeah, it needs to go through that, doesn't it? I think maybe a lot of things do come back to Jamaica. You could say that hip-hop wouldn't have existed if Cool Herc hadn't gone to Jamaica and seen what was happening with sound system culture. But hip-hop can only have come from the from, 1970s Bronx. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Like, same as grind can only come from absolutely. the early noughties, Bow East London. Maybe it would take 20, 30 years to figure out why that was. You know, was it a political reason? Was it cultural? Was it... Man, you know, I don't was say, in a way, it doesn't matter why it was. The thing is, it, it was. Because yeah, the yeah. best thing about Grime is they've done it under their own terms. One of the only ways, I think, to succeed in the 21st century is to have new values. They didn't chase getting the big record deals. They created their own infrastructure. 
Interesting. I never asked you about this, but to what degree did the whole technology, social media and all that Huge facilitate? Part. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it depends on who you talk to, but I think that during its early years, uh, you still had that reliance on the old-fashioned yeah. cousins taping pirate radio, yeah, yeah, sending yeah. it to cousins in Cassette Birmingham. Hunting. Yeah, yeah, all that. <laughs> that was what actually helped push your early years. And so yeah. these guys would get bookings in Birmingham and Glasgow. Like, how do they know about us? But it was, you know, all through 2DK getting passed around. Um, but then pretty soon afterwards, 2004, five, you got MySpace. What a really important thing, um, MSN, Messenger. Messenger, yeah, yeah. So and it wasn't you, for drug dealers, folks. Yeah, exactly. This <laughs> it was a, for the creators. The legit, legit yeah, yeah, creators. Yeah. So they would all... So if you were on Messenger back in the day, you, you could find yourself getting a brand new JME track drop into your inbox because if you were sort of, you know, yeah, on, yeah, on, yeah, his, yeah. on his group thing. Then you had MySpace. And I think what you've seen in Grime, and it's interesting because you watch people like, say, Ed Sheeran or, to a lesser extent, Adele kind of copy that. But mm. you had, from 2006, you had all these kids, all these young grime MCs and producers on MySpace and then on Twitter and now on Instagram and Snapchat and they really quickly created a community. So when one person had a release out, they would all social mm -hmm. media and that's how it, it helped to grow. And, you know, again, also, obviously, um, uh, he, he actually died, uh, sadly, a guy called Disco D, um, who was a New York producer who got in touch with um, Chantel, I don't know, 2005 times. Uh, and... Uh, he had heard about it because because he you know online pirate radio at the time or online radio or so a friend of his had sent him an MP3 across from mm. the UK so music became very global and grime came into this sort of global arena at, at that sort of time so the idea of being able to share music and pass music along became so much easier. I hadn't liked it, but you know as, as we enter sort of the 21st century, I was really despairing. I was like, fuck, yeah, what's going they've on? actually knocked the stuffing out of young people. Do you know what I mean? Because I grew up with music being the major form of kind of expression yeah. for people like and myself. And the only thing that we had any way to access. Mm. So we got our attitude and, you know, and used it as a way to express ourselves. And, you know, when we got into the 21st century, it's like, oh, fuck, they've really killed that. And only grime has restored my faith. Yeah. And what I recognise is this kind of timeless tradition of people using music to kind of push things forward. I know it sounds corny. But but I do, I do wonder... Because if it wasn't for grime, I'd be, like, slashing my wrists. Yeah, like, what else is there? But you, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Well, I, I want, uh, two things. One is that I wonder, can there be something else like grime or, or dubstep or jungle? Please, you know, I'm worried... You know what? I don't think we should concern ourselves with that. All I'm think? glad is that we're in the 21st century, there is something that's going fucking forward. Because <laughs> when we got into the 21st nostalgia, century, it's like yeah. everyone started treading water. And the other thing was this fucking nostalgia thing. Mm. It's like everyone started looking backwards because they're too scared to go fucking forwards. Yeah. And it was only down to grime that's dragged us into the 21st century. Well, that's what grime needs to do next, I think. That's where I sort of think at the moment, like, my sort of concerns are the best grime music that's being made today is still very reminiscent of the 2002, 2003, that dark synth. That's my favourite grime music, and that's the music that seems to do particularly well. If you look at the Storms, you're a sceptic. Their biggest songs tend to be very much reminiscent of that early grime stuff, which is great, but I think it's time for... Grime, which I think Dizzy has done on his new album, actually, to just push it a bit more, let's experiment a little bit more, don't get stagnant Stop, like Garage don't did. Don't become so London-centric, or Europe-English-centric. Well, yeah, it is, it is still very I London. saw him on bloody YouTube. What did I see? Storm was at Coachella, rocking the yes, crowd. Crazy. And the crowd is singing along. Crazy. And I tell you, if you there. know Coachella, I was there. are you were there? I was there, yeah. And that's their crazy. fucking Coachella. I mean, it's a festival for people that don't really like festivals. Oh, I've it's the weirdest it. festival I've ever And for been him to rock that crowd and have him singing along in a lyric, wow, that was a trip. Talk about culture clash. Yeah, it's amazing. You see, you see it with um, you see it with Skeptor too. I've, I've played, um, I've been in a few places with Skep. Uh, I've been to like Iceland with him. Oh, sorry. sorry, Iceland and uh, Grime New York. in Iceland. Grime that Iceland. is a thought. It's cold. It's, 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 yeah, <laughs> it's cold. That's some cold shit. <laughs> it's it's crazy that you can see this this weird little music that came out of like pretty much one estate, you know, in East London. That is now, you know, you've got Drake, 
attached to it. You've got Pharrell produced a track on Skepta's album. Yeah. All that sort I mean, of I notice people keep flagging up and they go, Drake, and they go, ASAP this and that, and fucking. And I'm like, fuck yeah. that. What's happened? These guys have done this shit on their own, and these guys have come to them after the fact. Do you know what I mean? It's a real big achievement. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, because ideally, we don't need the blessing of none of those motherfuckers. I mean, yeah, no right. disrespect, my American brothers, but this has happened in spite of them. Yeah, exactly, because you for know, a long time they didn't care. And it was very platitudinous. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that people are like, yeah. I talked for a long time. Like, I remember, so years ago, I did an interview with P. Diddy. This is a weird story, but I did an interview with P. Diddy for ID. And uh, he messaged me afterwards asking to FaceTime. Or well, not FaceTime, wouldn't be in FaceTime then, whatever it was, Skype. So obviously I was like, PDD wants to chat, who am I to turn him down? And he was like, yeah, what's the, you know, who's the hottest thing in the, in, in the UK right now? I want to do a remix. And I was like, yeah, you got to get Skepta, you got to get what? And I was like, I was gassed. Skeptic tanks, got to love them. You know, so I mean, we were talking about this before, you know, this idea of, you know, we all make mistakes. And I was I was as guilty as encouraging this. So, you know, Puffy ends up doing this remix with Skepta. It was called Hello Good Morning. And I remember at the time we were all so excited, like, this is it, we're going to blow, Grime's going to go massive. Diddy comes over, goes to Glasgow. Go, does does this remix, makes a video, never plays it once in America, doesn't get the guys over to America, doesn't put him on it, doesn't put it on his actual album. It meant nothing. It meant nothing really. Saying, remember this bread my brethren out there, and all you man them. Sometimes you cross over and you can't get black. Mm-hmm. Remember that. <laughs> that's a very good John line. Nick said that. Sick line. Um, yeah, that's what happened. I mean, that's you know, that was that period in the noise when Grime did become really bad, 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 bad. And as a, as a fan, just as a fan, not even as a journalist, whatever, as a fan, I was sort of really excited to see. Oh, this may, you know, maybe they got, these guys are going to blow up. And Skepta went over to America and did a few shows and did some radio on Hot 97 with Jamie. And I think Dizzy went over there and did some shows. And Lady Sovereign was signed by Jay Z. I mean, all this sort of stuff. But in the, in the last half of the 20th century, that, that would have made sense because America were these kingmakers. But not the digital age has shrunk the planet. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. And and they ain't those king, the kingmakers anymore. Right, and, now, and Grime now, again has proved that. Yeah, if you're Drake and you want to you want to borrow this call that, that these guys have, then you need to put them on your album. And he has done that. You know, I, I'll give sort of Drake his juice. He has put Gigs and Skepta and Dave and George Smith. He's actually put these people on his album. So that yeah. says a lot more than just like coming to the UK and sort of appearing yeah. at a show. So yeah, I mean, who needs? We don't need America. We don't need that. And, but exactly like I was saying earlier, because Skepta didn't need the brands, he didn't care about the money. He resigned himself to being broke for the rest of his life. He was like, fuck it, I just want to make music. I don't care if I'm broke. New values. Sorry, go on, yeah. Um, and the same thing, I don't care if the Americans like it, I don't care if I'm famous in America, and of course, when you do that, you let go of everything. That's it, and again, I keep saying, the world becomes a really exciting place yep. when you create your own value system. Yep. It's the only way forward in the 21st century, and the grime guys have got it, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, really. Okay, so I went to the boy bit and I'd take over the other day, right? I'm just sitting in the queue for the bar, and Sky starts chanting some shit in my ear. I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's like, do you know where you know where you are, love? You know where you are, right? And I was like, oh, sorry. It's like you know you're at a grime rave. I'm like, I'm at a grime rave. He was like, yeah, yeah, grime rave. I was like, what's what's grime? He's like, it's gr- grime, grime. You know, it's what it's what we've been listening to tonight. And I was like, grime. Oh, is that what it's called? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, what, like, like Jay Huss? He's like, yeah, 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 Jay Huss. He's grime. I was like, oh really? Because I thought he was more Afrobeat. And this girl's like. Smackdown. <laughs> like, mate, I've written a book. I was at the raves before. You know, it's, it's just like, ah. yeah. But, but, um, could be 150 years, 40 years old, whatever. I still want to be interested, not necessarily in, in youth culture, but just stuff that's going on, whether that's Exciting youth culture shit. or... Exciting shit that's great pushing telly things forward. Or good films, you know, it's hey. politics, you know, what life How do you think it? I'm getting a gig these days, girlfriend? <laughs> Come on, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's important, it's important. And I think all, you know, I was a kid once, I was in my 20s once, and I was fucking running around London like a loon thinking that I owned the town and I was the boss and everything I did was the most important and exciting thing. Like I say, let me rewind selector and say that I do acknowledge in, in the 21st century, it's fucking tough to be young out there. Oh, I wouldn't want it now, yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, fucking rents in London and all mm-hmm. that shit. You know, it's, it's tough. So 
Yeah, I, I respect anybody that can stay on course and kind of yeah, there's, there's follow some, their there's, dream. There's some really, really, you know, luckily through my job, uh, not necessarily in grind, but I'm, I'd meet and talk to some amazing young people. A girl called Amanda Stenberg, who's 17. She's American, but of uh, Iranian and uh, she's Iranian, uh, Iranian and African American and American. She's 17 years old. She intellectualised me by about a million. I had no idea what she was talking about half the time. She had all these big words talking about really important things in a really interesting way, and I was just like, God, you know, I meet. Well, I was 17. I was literally at clubs, smoking fags, smoking weed, drinking, you know, the shit out of anything I could drink of, you know, and just, just being a teenager. And I think it's interesting, maybe that's always been the case, but I feel like there's definitely a real push from young people at the moment. I'm gonna ask you, right, is grime primarily a black expression? Yes, primarily black, but it's also very working class. That's interesting you say that, working class, because there's been this tradition of white working class kids looking at sort of black American music for their fix of rebellion. Again, that shifted with punk rock. Because all of a sudden, instead of being about black America, it became about Jamaica and the sound system of this whole punky reggae thing. But it was always black music from abroad. And again, grime's broken that chain because now they're still looking to black music for their fix of rebellion, but it's created right here. And I think if you look at grime, the audience of grime now is actually predominantly white middle class. And if you go to UK rap, you, that's where you're going to see black kids again and not so many white kids. So mm, Hip hop. UK rap, I mean, UK, oh, yeah, the oh, UK oh, rap, not, oh, yeah, oh, not, yeah. not, um, UK rap and drill and trap, I, but... It, drill? Tell me what drill. Tell us all about drill. Trap I got is like dirty South rap. Yeah, exactly. Drill, 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 tell me. Drill, I can't keep up anymore, these fucking labels, Drill, <laughs> drill is from Chicago, pretty much kind of founded around a guy called Chief Keef. It's just very violent, very dark. It's, you know, not okay, full yeah, of right, hope. I, I, right. For some well, reason... Right, one. Road, road rap or so, rap? So, for so, okay, so road rap is from the school of grime in that it's very British, linguistically very British, but it's it's slowed down, so it's slower beats. Tends to be very influenced by people like Jada Kiss and The Locks, that sort of kind of late 90s hip-hop sort of thing. So oh. road rap is basically, I suppose, the more authentic grime, if you like, in terms of if you want to talk about the the stereotypical experience of living in, in the... Uh, the hood, the ghetto, whatever you want to say. You know, it's a lot about drugs, a lot about drug dealing, a lot about gang problems. So, very different to grime uh, in that okay. sense. Subject matter is man, a lot the darker. Dread, the dread's getting old. Too many fucking labels, Yeah, man. well, this is the thing. So, you, you, you're finding at the moment, like... You're finding at the moment, yeah, you're finding at the moment grime is becoming much more, much more sort of white male student sort of audience. Um, like back in the day when you would go to Public Enemy gig, you know, yeah. same thing. The, the sort of black audience tended to drop away and, and now, at the moment, uh, one period, period lots you find black audience was really into Funky House hey, and Garage. Listen, you go to a jazz or a blues gig these days, white. how many black people do you think are there? It's going to be all white people. It's, again, it's this weird dynamic. I don't yeah. know what the fuck that's about. So but... why is, why do you think white working class people are so fascinated by black ha, music. That's easy. It's got a better beat than green sleeves. <laughs> it's got to be, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, ultimately, it's got yeah. to be something to do with the bass and the beats, because that's what we, we really brought, brought to the mix. Mm. I wouldn't say black people invented music, but that whole emphasis on drum and bass that seems to be something that speaks to us. What's the word? Prime, more, prime what's the word? Prime, 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 primordial, primordial. That word, yeah. And uh, that crosses all race and all that stuff but yeah beats and the bass i guess if you had to strip it down it has to be something to do with that because we got we had the guitar players we had the hendrix and the princes and all the rest of it but ultimately the only connection i can see is something to do with drum and bass and that's some primitive shit that you'd have to ask a scientist about. But, but the struggle's has... a struggle too, right? I think the, the idea of struggle... Protest the struggle music. There's no protest. way people had protest music. Well, protest is different. I think protest is... I mean, struggle in the sense of, like... Um... Yeah, no, I can dig what you're saying. The underdog, yeah, the alienated. 
Um, yeah, the outsider. Which is particularly... Yeah. Which is, I think also this class, you know, the classism, as we know, is very particular to the UK. It's not as explicit in the US. And I think maybe that's, there's but, something there, you yeah, know. But even, well, as you're saying, but even in the US, the white kids, I mean, it's white kids that are going to these rap kids, mm. rap gigs now. Yeah, it's yeah. Right, white people's money that's made rap the biggest-selling genre yeah, yeah. on this planet. Yeah, yeah, it's something like so, 60 or 80% of people on, yeah. on Spotify that listen to rap are white, or whatever it is the statistics are. I'm just wondering if, in the, in the I was going to say in the 21st century, in the world period, it's, it's always been a very white world, and black culture has always been outside of culture. To some people, that's always been an attraction, not a distraction. I think so. Yeah, I think And maybe so. it's just by the nature of the way the world operates that white people will always look to some outsider culture for their fix of rebellion or anti-establishment. Yeah. And just that's just the setup it's of the world. I'm just nature. having this random thought as I'm speaking to you about so, why that is. Because yeah. it's a recognised dynamic that white kids always gravitate towards black but, music for that. When I lived in East London, I would see so many Indian guys, and it was all the local mandem, like all the sort of shady kids around there that were in very nice cars that were doing potentially illegal activities. Um, <laughs> and um, some of them I know definitely were, because we would have experience of that. But they, they, they would have Tupac, they would have Biggie, like there's, you know, it's, it's, it's white kids and Indian kids, in my experience, in both Birmingham and London, that are very attracted to black British music, not just music, but culture. And I don't know, I mean, like I said earlier, you know, I've never had people question why I write what I write about. I mean, you know, I, I'm as likely to write about Amy Winehouse and Lady Gaga as I am about Skepta and Stormzy. I you met what, let, music. Amy, right? Yeah, we, yeah, I interviewed her a couple of times. Um, we were kind of close. Fuck. It's just, it still really shocks me. It still really shocks me. And I, do you know what I think about Amy as well? I just said a ridiculous thing, but and probably the last thing that she would actually really want to do if she was alive. But I just think, God, imagine her and Skepta together or her and Stormzy. I just what and she would have been powerful there. Powerful that would have been. She right? would have been there. Man. She would have loved Damn. that stuff. I think she would have that loved. That hurts. She would have loved grime, I think, um, or what it what it came became. Yeah, so she would have been I mean, well, and then look at you know look at someone like Amy. She was a sort of working middle class Jewish North Londoner who was obsessed by Ella Fitzgerald and 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 Mahalia um, Jackson. Yeah, Mahalia Jackson. So it's a really big question, and I I I don't know I don't know the answer to to that, but I think it's really important. I think it's a really important and really interesting question. But what is the answer? So, if Grimes a primarily black expression, where does somebody like Mike Skinner fit in? Because I love that brother. He's like, <clears throat> he's like the Shakespeare of the streets. Hundred percent. He is one of the, the finest lyricists I think this country has produced. He's he's incredible. He came very much into uh, what he was doing around the same sort of time as Grime was born. Original Power Material came out in two thousand and two, which was at that stage when Grime was sort of figuring out who and what it was. I think a lot of MCs retrospectively were very influenced by Mike. I think most of them perhaps were introduced to him until a couple of years after two thousand and four sort of times. And someone that I mentioned earlier, Chantal Fiddy, the person that introduced me to Grime, she was working at Six Seven Nine uh, with Nick Worthington, which was part of Locked On, which was part of Mike Skinner and Chantel and Dan Stacey put together a couple of remixes early on with Mike and Jamie Skepta. Uh, who else was on those remixes? Rich 32. Skinner went on to work with Gigs later on. I mean, Skinner's got a huge level and appreciation for Grime. I think he would be very cautious of saying that he had any sort of influence on it. But I think over time he's definitely played a part. And I think what they always really appreciate about Skinner, someone like Wiley or Skepta, is his storytelling uh, ability yeah, and his genius. lyricism and his concepts. You know, they've all. And 
Kano, you talk to Kano, he'll, he'll talk to you about Skinner all day. You know, that he's definitely played a part, but I don't think he influenced it very early right. on, you know, but I think as they all he's sort of part together... Of the story? I think so, yeah, I think he's definitely a part of I the mean, story. I mean, I tell you, I miss, I miss his lyrical he's flow, a, I mean... G, he's a G, he's a G. I mean, bloody was it, Grand Known Comfort Free was a bloody concept album. The you whole know. album, you lose yeah. a grand, that thing, yeah. the girl, he cheats yeah. on the girl, he finds the grand. It's, to me, yeah. it's one of the... I mean, well, how, you lose you that, what, how you lose all that money down the back of a telly? I don't know what kind of telly you have, Bridgerton, but... I was trying to be like the telly, yeah, I thought well, they used to have slots. They used to have, um, you know, but serious. I mean, Shakespeare of the streets. I don't know how else to put him. I mean, really. And I miss him. I mean, I wish he'd make some more shit. You know? you can, I think that sort of idea of that haphazardness of lyrics, uh, you don't always have to rhyme perfectly. I think Kano's really picked up on that a lot. Um, someone like Skechter as well. I think this sort of very artisanal kind of approach to, to rap where you don't have to sort of follow the four by four, you know, you don't have to follow the beat structure, you don't have to follow the perfect rhyme. I think Mike was perhaps preceded by Eminem was really, really wicked at that. But also the fact that you could talk about EastEnders and Henry the Hoover and all very British things that Americans wouldn't understand, but it didn't matter because you didn't yeah. want Americans to understand. You didn't give a shit. Yeah. You you wanted your mate down the road to hear it and go, yeah, oh, that's sick, that's sick. And that's what Grime did. It very much spoke to itself. Didn't care if yeah. this person understood it. Of the youth, for and the youth, by the youth. Something man. I think Mike Mike certainly helped. So before I let you go, I've got to ask you something because it seems to me that you're one of these people that follows stuff that you're passionate about and through instinct, not about what the market's about. What's next? What, what you got? You know, what you're listening to? Tell me. Give me some tips for my radio show so I can be here. There's a, there's a lot. It's of... hard these days at my age. <laughs> hey, trust, trust me. me. I, I I got you. Don't worry. It's, it's a lot of searching on the internet. I mean, it's a lot of time spent online. You know something? I don't look that hard. It's I figure... exhausting. I don't look that hard anymore. I figure if I'm supposed to hear it through my connections and through... Somehow it comes It'll yeah, reach yeah, me, yeah. you know. It always get yeah, it'll always get there. Give me some tips. Well, I think what's been really great about Grime, particularly over the last couple of years, is it's uh, spread from outside London. So you've got loads of kids from literally Swindon... Manchester, Birmingham. Glasgow, place, right? Birmingham, yeah, Birmingham, Bristol. Manchester, Nottingham. You've got loads of wicked um, uh, rappers and MCs coming through uh, <clears throat> that I think are really interesting. Um, and and also you've got sort of Afrobeat-inspired people like Lotto Boys from Birmingham. So I think as a, as, a, as a sort of country, the stranglehold that Grime had on East London has is, is certainly been loosened. And I mean, most of the stars now come from South London. So this idea of Grime being very localised is, is really interesting that it's spreading out. You've got Korean Grime, you've got Japanese Grime. Oh, man, I want to hear that There's shit. There's some weird stuff. I want to hear that shit. There's some weird stuff out there. <laughs> um, I just, I don't know. I, I'd be. <sighs> but outside of grime, what else? I wonder. What if, else? Well, I don't know. Is there going to be? Can there be another subculture? Can there be another dubstep? Can there be another grime? Can there be another jungle? I don't know. In how in this world of gentrification and this sort of clamping down of artistic kind of space in places like London, how can anything thrive and survive? And also, we find a way, man. We find a way. But also, as soon as something comes out, it's yeah. old. People are like, oh yeah, that tune came out two days ago. It's old. Like because the internet, it's so. Well, it's fast about yeah. It's about. Money. Disseminated. As opposed to movements It's really now. hard for anything that's to build, isn't it? And that's that, I think, is, a, is is something that I'd like to read. I don't know, Simon Reynolds or something. But still, you can't, you know, that, that, the spirit of young people wanting to be themselves, have their own soundtrack and express themselves, I guess that's what will never die, I yeah. hope. And that will feed the next movement, whatever it is. I think the next movement is going to be very political. I think there's going to be a really strong streak of activism running through whatever happens next. I think young people, young kids are far more, I hate this word woke, but I'll reluctantly use it, they're far more aware and awake. Well, they have, they've to... been forced into it because of the economic, economic climate. Yeah. I mean, you've got to pay uh, 300 quid for a 
one bedroom flat in London. 11 grand. How, you, to how go are you going to be creative and, you know what I mean, pay the rent? It's tough. Oh, it's 11 grand to go to uni and stuff. So I think. I 11 think grand? Now you come out and come out. Grand you, or 16? you walk away with a 50 grand debt. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. It's, you know. it's, it's just ridiculous. So I think, I, think, I think it's always been a bit of a tricky one how politics and music melds, and sometimes it's worked really well with punk and sometimes it hasn't. But I think the next generation of kids from the UK, from Britain, certainly, I can't really speak about America, but I think it's, we're going to see some really interesting, strong activist political music. It's interesting you should say that because, I mean, they're going to need to get their shit together because it's post-Brexit shit. Like I said, I'm an old man. Ain't going to bother me. By, all, by the time it all kicks in, I'll be dead. Yeah. The people is going to screw with the young people, yeah, so yeah. it's right That's, on time. It's, it's, I mean, it's, really. Yeah, Brexit. It's and grime time. I think, yeah, I think the grime generation are, the, are, are going to kick up a bit of a fuss. I think they're going to demand some answers. You know, Grant, we're sat how many far away from Grenfell, you know, and I think that's been really led by the grime generation. AJ Tracy and Loki have really pushed uh, and are pushing for answers. Um, you've got Stormzy calling out the police and their treatment of uh, yeah, the press around What was that thing about heroin? Who takes heroin? Heroin at carnival. I mean, come you know, on. If it had been weed, I would have said, you know what? Or, or balloons. Go, 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 go. Who does go like, oh, no, it's, it's congruous. Did you see anyone, anyone like raise their finger at that at the time? They like, did. Well, no, people, no, no. Stormzy it did. A big fuss. No, Stormzy did. Stormzy yeah. led by Stormzy. By and, a lot of people. And then brilliantly, there was a huge, a huge, um, a huge amount of coverage about about crime statistics. So Glastonbury. So there was less crime at Notting Hill than V Festival. Uh, best of all. Glastonbury, I mean, I could go on. Yeah, like, unless you, know. you read the Daily Mail, of course, you, you know. fucking wankers. I don't think, I don't know that it'll necessarily be grime that is the, at the very forefront, but I feel at the moment you've got Stormzy and you've got JME, you've got all these people very much at the forefront who are asking a lot of tough questions, and I think that's really important. So, And they've got the means to do it through social media. They don't have to rely on ID magazine or The Guardian mm. or Radio 1 anymore, or The Enemy. They can do it yeah, on their own platforms with their two, yeah, three million a, yeah. followers. So that's really powerful to me. So I, I, long may that live. Long may that live. <laughs> <laughs>